third-generation dairy farmer, milking cows and making cheese on my small farm in Wisconsin. And I'm Matt Kinzera, and I know next to nothing about farming, but I'm on this food and farming adventure. Gather with us around the farm table. I had to stop today and just watch. I led the cows down the lane, the one along the creek, over the field by Thompson Road. There's a bale of hay out there, but I'm sure they won't finish it. Well, now that the grass is beginning to grow. The grass shoots up a little taller every day. How do you describe the color of green that's in the field? It's not grass green like you'd see in a box of crayons. It's not even one color. This time of the year, the color changes even before the day is over. This grass, it's beautiful. It's a symbol for me. A symbol that I can keep farming if only for one more year. A symbol that I won't have to pick between paying the electric bill or buying hay. I always pick the hay anyway. It's a symbol of only good to come. We made it another winter. We made it through the barn burning down in November, the sheds collapsing with the weight of snow in March, and now there's grass. There's spring. There's only happy memories to be made. There is hope. Well, hello, Matt, and welcome to the farm. Well, thanks, Inga. This is exciting because not only am I at the farm, I feel like today I'm on the farm because we're sitting outside in a barn. The cows already got out, so we had to go <laughs> put those guys back in the fence. There's birds chirping. It smells amazing out here. I guess the, the only short-sightedness is, had I known we were actually going to be chasing cows around and things like that, I probably wouldn't have wore flip-flops. <laughs> well, it only takes one time stepping in a pile of cow manure to remember to wear boots next time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well now you're making me nervous because I'm worried that you're going to lead me towards some cow pies, uh, which would be a little different kind of exciting. I think. <laughs> well, I'm so excited you're here. I wanted to talk tea with you today. Talking tea on a farm. Talking seems tea perfect. on a farm. Did you ever wonder when you're picking up your box of tea at the store where it actually comes from? I don't pick up too many boxes of tea. From, I'm a little bit more of a coffee guy. So when I pick up tea, it's usually for somebody else. And I'm not going to lie, I just get the cheapest thing that's in the cutest box. Well, from now on, I think your mind's going to be changed on your tea selection. Because there is a guy, his name is Tony, and he lives not too far from here. He lives down in the Amish country on this beautiful little farmette. And I tell you, I went there last summer, and the colors explode out of the ground. Where we're at here in Wisconsin, we're kind of in a sea of corn and soybeans and alfalfa. But a lot of green colors this time of the year in the midsummer. When you go into Tony's place, it's purples. Colors of purples I've never seen before. And yellows and oranges and reds. And the fields are full of these herbs and these flowers. And it is overwhelming to your senses to, to be there and see it. And he is just incredible. Like no one I've ever met before. He's not from Wisconsin. Like me, he came here to farm. He's lived all over the country, all over in Central America and South America and he's just a really interesting guy. So let me introduce you to Tony down at Sacred Blossom Farm. 
So I grow herbs and it all started with a passion for growing healthy food. Healthy for my health, healthy for the people that consume my product and healthy for the planet. I started doing vegetables and I apprenticed under a guy who had been farming his whole life. We had this great 20 plus acre vegetable farm, but we couldn't really hardly pay the bills. You know, we had all the equipment, but you couldn't build that business by selling cucumbers and lettuce like we were. So I sought out to figure out how could I make a living in small scale sustainable ag? And what can I do better than what's already in the marketplace? And I looked at lots of different specialty crops and I saw in herbs, there's this, a few very boutique farms that produce phenomenal quality, but 99.9% is this mass produced stuff out of Europe and a little bit the US, but high quality herbs are really hard to come by. So I thought, well, that's something that's different and it, it fits in with human health, it fits in with ecological health. And so, yeah, so now I grow herbs and I dry everything. And my whole passion is trying to figure out the most environmentally sustainable way of growing things. I know we always like talking to people who are doing things that are environmentally friendly, because that's what you do, Inga. So it makes sense that we would talk to a guy like Tony, who sounds amazing, by the way, who's doing the things that he does in ways that are good for our world and our earth. Well, right. Well, as farmers, I say this so much and I just want to hammer it home to everyone. As farmers, we are not just taking care of animals and plants. We really have to be taking care of the land and making sure that we're doing things where Mother Nature appreciates it and likes it and benefits from it. I grow my plants in polyculture. I mix all the different herbs together and something like 50 to 80% of a plant's energy goes to feeding the soil. People think that dirt soil comes from plants decomposing, but that's just a fraction of it. Uh, the plant takes in energy and it injects that energy straight to feeding the microbes in the soil. And that's what frees up the nutrients for the plants. And if you just have a monoculture above ground, you're going to have a lack of biodiversity below ground. So I mix all my different plants together to create a below ground ecology that's much more diverse and healthy than you're going to find in a conventional farm. And then I cut everything by hand so I know every leaf and every flower is perfect. And I have a special herb dryer that I built. It's huge. It's a thousand square feet. Well, huge by my scale, but tiny by uh, the big guy's scale. And that allows me to preserve the quality much better than you can than when you're you know, doing dump trucks and pitchforks and stuff like that. I think the fascinating thing about hearing from Tony is that He's not just a farmer, he's a scientist. The way he talks about this, he uses words that I have to look up. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is not your typical version of the old-fashioned farmer that you hear about. <laughs> right. I mean, I think people have always thought of farmers as sort of being not bright. Right. Simple, I think, Simple. would be a good term. Like, historically, right. if we look at a Norman Rockwell painting of a farmer, it's a simple person that we wouldn't say, oh, they must have a great intellect. But right. That can't be true. <laughs> based on what happens on a farm. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you really have to be thinking about the science behind everything, especially like what he's doing, what he's trying to achieve. He's trying to build the health of that soil and build the health of that plant. And he's managing, oh, I don't know, 75 different crops, really, if you think about all those different plants as a crop. So his mind has to be constantly going on what this needs, what plants need to be planted together, what plants need to be planted apart. And I think that's why so many people love farming 
morning when they get into it is because it's just different every day and you learn something different every day and it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is just my thought about farmers in general, but when you guys talk, I just get tired hearing you talk. <laughs> I hear Tony talk about his bazillions of herbs and the way he's harvesting and then I hear you getting all excited about working the land and I just feel like I need a nap. So I just, I want to hear from Tony how he manages this even. Well, he does a lot. And what's so exciting and so unique is that compared to these industrial tea growers or herb growers or anything, he is overseeing everything. So he's able to harvest that crop at its peak. He's doing it gently. He's doing it by hand. He gets to oversee everything. It is exhausting, but I think like I do, I think he gets so much energy from it and so much excitement. And then I hope like I do, he just sleeps for the whole winter, right? I think you all should just take a year off, like a jubilee year off and just sleep for 12 months and then get back at it. I'm over the spring hump from the middle of April through the 5th of June. I can't really leave the farm. I've got all these baby plants. If the sun comes out, you know, the greenhouse needs to get open. They need to get watered. A lot of planting. I put in about 15,000 transplants by hand um, and then some miles of direct seeded row. And again, keeping the weeds off that in the first step while I'm also doing kind of my wild harvesting in the spring. Uh, it's very busy for those six, seven weeks. But now it's like it's cruisy. We're doing the last of the hand weedings happening today. Then after that, I can do the whole farm with a new machine I've got, the little walk behind cultivator, do you know my five miles a row in one day with that. It's a lot of walking, but it's all right. And I can you know get it all done when the conditions are right once every few weeks. And then so I fill up the herb dryer, a day or two days later, I empty the dryer, then fill it up again. It takes a day or two for things to dry. So I've got this nice cycle of uh, kind of like two days on, one day off, two days on, one day off, which is pretty darn pleasant, really. When I hear from the farmers that I'm getting a chance to meet, the overarching theme is high quality. We are producing high quality food that's great for the people that are going to consume it. And that's a mentality that I love to hear about because it just sounds so right. It sounds like the right thing to do, yet so few people are doing it. That's why it's so fun to hear from people like Tony, who just seem to be doing things for the right reason. Well, this is great because I remember last week when I was talking to you, you were saying how you and your wife got in a fight because you didn't want to spend extra money on good food. <laughs> right. So I think you're changing. Oh, I hope she doesn't listen to this episode <laughs> because now I'm really going to have to start ponying up for the, the good cheese and the good the good herbs and the, the really good tea. But it is, you get what you pay for. And like I've said before, we vote with our food dollars and we get what we pay for. And when you're purchasing food from these folks, when you're purchasing tea from Tony, you are supporting all of those insects on that farm. I was just reading more about the monarch butterflies this morning because I'm just fascinated with all the milkweed that's on our farm right now and how it's just like really kind of exploded here on my farm. And I was reading how it's the only plant that the monarch butterflies can lay their eggs on and their caterpillars can grow on. Their caterpillars then feed on the milkweed. They take in the toxins from the milkweed into their bodies so that the other insects and the birds and things don't want to eat the caterpillars because if they do, they'll get poisoned. We don't have this milkweed. We don't have monarch butterflies. So we don't have a whole pollinating species. And when we lose these little things, we lose everything, right? So when we're buying tea from Tony, we're supporting the monarch butterflies. It goes so far back 
back and it's so exciting and that's why we should be spending a little bit more if we need to. That is amazing. You know, food in America and the whole world is this cheap food policy. People want the cheapest food they can possibly get. So that ends up with, you know, chicken barns with 50,000 chickens in them. And in herbs, it's the same sort of thing. On these big farms, they go through with, you know, big eight-foot wide mowers and just cut everything down with hay. Sometimes they dry it out in the sun just like hay and flip it with hay rakes. And you can get a lot of volume like that, but there's going to be weeds in there. There's going to be junk in there. And then to process that sort of volume, they do it with, like, massive machines. And when you do that, it heats things up, which degrades them, all that friction on such a mass scale. Basically, just like anything else, if you do it by hand, you can treat everything right and make sure every leaf and every flower is right. And heck, I could even go before that, starting with how I treat the soil and how I grow everything in polycultures. I don't use any pesticides. Potato beetle is an issue for the ashwagandha that I grow. It's related to the potatoes. And I could spray BT like my organic produce neighbors do, but I don't want to use any pesticides because I want my farm to be a reservoir of life. Now we've got so many predator insects on the farm that you can't you can't hardly find the pests anymore. And instead of dealing with problems through a death sort of scenario, do it with a life, like a biological positive intention. So anyway, how is my tea different than the stuff in the supermarket? Oof! so different from how it's grown, how it's processed, where it comes from, how old it is. That's the thing that people say to me most is your stuff's so fresh compared to anything you can get in the store. And that's really true. A lot of the herbs coming into this country might be more than a year old by the time they even get shipped over here. And then how long are they sitting to go from one warehouse to another to get ground up even finer to be uh, shoved in a tea bag and then go through the next round of distribution steps. I guess I would just never think about any of those things when I'm at the grocery store. You kind of just tackle your grocery list. You just grab whatever looks like the right thing to you. And I'm, I think I need to be more thoughtful and more conscious about the way I'm purchasing at the grocery store. Well, I think we all need to be. And I think what's so fun about getting to meet these farmers is that, you know, even as a farmer myself, I'm learning so much from these folks and just like now it's like I'm hoping when you look at the herbs growing in your garden or the wildflowers on the side of the road it's just a reminder that boy this is medicine and really food is can be our medicine for us and I did a great job in my 20s and 30s just trying to destroy my immune system yeah most of us do most of us do (laughs) and now I'm sort of all of a sudden like oh I should be healthy you know (laughs) well maybe a little late but all these plants have a purpose for us and a purpose for our health and we have the chance now to be mindful of what we're eating and what we're consuming. And not to say I'm not going to have a frozen pizza from time to time. Oh, we're definitely going to have a frozen (laughs) pizza from time to time. All right. I've heard from people who work with herbs that there's medicinal qualities to them. So I'm assuming it's the same with what Tony's doing. I'm assuming there's a piece of that in there. Well, let me have him tell you about it himself. I'm growing a lot of herbs that fall under a class called adaptogens, and they help normalize bodily function. So people, especially coming out of like a Western medicine context, think of like uppers and downers, things that are energizing or sedative. A lot of these adaptogens 
are both. It's because they normalize bodily functions and they help adjust whatever's out of balance with you. So I have a new tea coming out that I think it's gonna be called Ritual. Uh, you can drink it every day and it'll just help kind of restore that natural balance to your body. I have another tea, I think I'm gonna call it Sleep, I'm not sure and it's over one gram of California poppy per serving. And a lot of people tell me it's extremely effective. Some people don't like it because it makes them too dopey at bedtimes. Uh, other people think it's like wonderful. I'm gonna have a tea specifically for respiratory health. Yesterday I was up near Eau Claire at a uh, conservation land easement. I went out there and harvested the mullen, which is uh, one of the best expectorants there. It's excellent for getting phlegm and mucus out of the lungs. I'm gonna mix that with elderflowers and some other things uh, for respiratory tea. Then I'm going to do another tea that is for immune health with my three and four year old polyculture grown echinacea and also it's very heavy in antiviral herbs which is very pertinent these days. Another one unnamed officially I might call it calm balm that you can drink every day and it's specific for people that kind of live that too high stress urban lifestyle. You know, instead of a cup of coffee every day and they wonder why they're always frazzled and jittery, this is something that you can drink every day that'll help mellow you out rather than, than frazzle you out. Nettle is one of the most nourishing things you can possibly consume. I've heard of a lot of reports from people I know personally who have had arthritis or joint problems, older people, and they start drinking nettle tea regularly and their joint problems disappear. It's one of the most mineral-rich plants there is, and it has more chlorophyll than any other plant. So yeah, harvesting nettles is quite a deal. Always long sleeves, heavy pants, um, and you still get stung 10,000 times kind of right between your leather gloves and where your shirt comes down, but I'm so used to it by now, I kind of like it. But nettles are really easy to get rid of the sting. You can dry them and then they won't sting you anymore. Um, you can even put them in water, especially hot water, they definitely won't sting anymore. But even if you set them in cool water, I think that neutralizes the sting too. It's such a nutritious plant that it had to develop that defense. Otherwise, all the animals would have would have taken too much advantage of it. That was such interesting information about all of these healing qualities that all these herbs have. But when you hear from Tony, he just sounds like he's so full of life. Doesn't it just, it just make you want to go out there? It yeah. makes me want to do something that matters. You know, it's like <laughs> I just want to be as happy as Tony is and so connected to my work that Tony is. And we live in this culture where you work so that you can get to the weekend so that you can get to your vacation. Right. But Tony just seems like that kind of guy that maybe every day is vacation for him. Yeah. I, I wonder, what does this guy do for fun? Well, I think it's like we get to be as farmers and especially as like these smaller farmers like Tony and I, we get to be in this amazing spaces. I was thinking this morning, I was getting the cows in and I've been making mental notes of the flowers that are coming up in the pasture. So like the prairie clovers and the yarrows and like all these fun things that I'm trying to learn the names to. And it's just like really fun. It's the same thing I did when I was a kid, except for now I just pay property taxes. You know, that's the only difference from being a kid, right? So being a farmer is like staying a kid your whole life, right. except that you have to pay taxes. Yeah, yeah. There's a big downside, <laughs> a huge downside. 
But you know, we all have to pay taxes, so you might as well stay a kid and pay taxes right. as opposed to, you know, sit in front of a computer all day. Right. And the other thing I think as farmers is you know that you're not going to really get to take a vacation or maybe afford a vacation, so you just make the vacation every day. Perfect. You know, I don't watch TV. I watch probably 10 hours of TV and movies all last year. It's like I'm always doing stuff. I don't know. TV bores me, but if I can be doing stuff and changing things and changing the world, then it's good. And that's what we do as farmers, right? That's what we're literally doing is changing the world. And if I can grow another plant or make stuff look a little bit better, it makes me so happy. That's way more fun than sitting around doing nothing. And yeah, like the struggle and the misery and da -da, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's all, it's all fun for me. My mantra, I say this just about every day, every night when I go to bed, today was an amazing day and tomorrow's gonna be an amazing day too. And I, I take plenty of time to do fun stuff. I have a new solar powered hot tub on the farm. Uh, it's just a big bathtub out kind of on the side of a hill with 400 feet of inch and a half poly pipe that just lays out in the sun and the end of a day like today, open it up and all the hot water comes out of the pipe and I hang out in there for 45 minutes with a beautiful view and it doesn't get any nicer than that and ride my horses around and always doing something to have fun too every day. And my very favorite thing to do in the whole world, if I could go do anything, is go walk around the gardens and see how my plants are doing. Like for me, that's that's as fun as it gets. You know, Inga, I've always had a dream of having a hot tub and I always thought, boy, this is, I'm gonna have to save up for a while and you know, drop $5,000 right. on a hot tub. But I think Tony just gave me a whole new idea <laughs> of like just getting an old bathtub, throwing it on a hill, warming up some water with the sun and just maybe soaking in there at the end of the day like he does. I mean, that's perfect. It's, I tell you, when we were kids, we had this huge stock tank out. We had this big long lane to go out and get the cows in the summertime. And we had this huge stock tank. Now that I'm an adult, maybe it wasn't as big as I thought it was when I was five, but we could go in there and jump in there and cool off. And it was like having a swimming pool. We thought we were really lucky. And now I have a little water tank that I'll fill up the water in the morning. And then by the evening when I'm done milking, I can jump in there. And it's I, just like really great. I think I saw, didn't you do a post on yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I saw you and your husband hanging out in the farm hot tub. Yeah, so the great thing, you could just go to the, the farm store and pick up a water tank, and oh. tonight you and Susie could be sipping a glass of wine under the moon. And yeah. Oh, what the neighbors would yeah. say. That would be perfect. <laughs> but I do think this feeds into the idea that here in America, we always talk about, you know, everybody has this mentality that bigger is better, faster is what we have to do. And when I hear from farmers like yourself and Tony, I don't get that sense at all. I almost get the opposite sense that if we slow down and manage what we can in healthy ways, that it's not that it's not busy. You guys are insanely busy, but there's a, and I don't want to use this word incorrectly, but a simplicity, a process that just seems like you go at the pace that nature allows you to go. Well, you kind of have to, and that's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful lesson to be reminded of so often is slowing down, is really tasting the basil that you just picked from the garden and pairing that with you know your beautiful tomatoes or something and really just sitting there and enjoying it and just stopping you mentioned basil so 
my wife Susie and I, we were trying a little garden with our daughters, Georgia and Macy. And the one thing that's rocking in there is our basil. And so we've been taking the basil and using it on homemade pizzas and different recipes. And even with herbs, I'm telling you, like Tony said, I can back this up that that is a different kind of basil than I've ever tasted before. And it's so fun to just go out in your garden and clip, clip fresh basil. You don't have to look in your fridge and say, oh, I'm out of basil. I'm not going to be out of basil all year. Right. I was kind of actually hoping to send you guys home with some basil because I have so much in the garden. (laughs) That was my plan. But yeah, and, and I think also because we work so much with the seasons and we have to be so aware of that, even just the nuances of the grass changing color in the springtime or how much rain we're getting in the summertime, it's just, it's you have to live so closely to the, I'm getting chills. Like I'm, I love doing what I do, right? And it's just like, you have to do that. I wish that everyone could sort of slow down and just take it in and just be able to smell what summer smells like and to taste the food from that season and to hear the birds chirping in the barnyard like today. Yes, we're always trying to get to that next whatever it is, but there's so much joy if we just experience the process of it because so much of life is just getting to where we're going so let's enjoy as they say the journey on the way to the destination does that sound like a thing very well said matt we're not overpowering the problems but we're understanding them we're anticipating them if you have a little bit deeper of an understanding you can make it a lot less work or a lot less uh, power that goes into it. You know, yesterday I was out harvesting this mullen by hand on this land easement and I harvested what'll end up being like 35 pounds dry. Like a good half day's work out there. And, and, you know, the guy who comes by with the giant combine is like, man, that's not very much, you know, 35 pounds. Well, you know what? Like I get paid for it. It's like, it's not a bad day's wages and I don't need a $200,000 piece of equipment to do it. And so it was all right. When I was growing up on my parents' dairy farm in Western Washington, we were encouraged to run through the pastures, through the fields and through the woods. And sure enough, we would all end up covered in stinging nettles by the end of the day. My maternal grandfather told us that if we took off all of our clothes and rolled and rolled in the nettles, we would be immune to nettle stings for the rest of our lives. My paternal grandfather told us that we just had to rub cow manure on the nettle stings to take the sting out. I'm not going to tell you which one worked, but I will tell you my favorite way to use nettles is in a delicious nettle soup. The first thing you're going to do is get a soup pot out. Now melt a little butter and a little olive oil in that pot and get one yellow onion cooking in there. Dice the onion first, throw it in the pot and get that cooking. Now peel and dice up two russet potatoes. Once the potatoes have began cooking, add four or five cups of vegetable stock or chicken stock. Now bring that to a boil. Once your potatoes are tender, add four cups of nettle leaves. Bring that to a simmer and let cook until everything is nice and tender. Now let that soup mixture cool and then using an immersion blender, blend that all together. You're gonna have this really beautiful, vibrant green color. My favorite thing to do then is to serve this in a white soup bowl so you can really have that color pop with a little bit of sour cream. 
I think this is something you're really gonna enjoy and I hope you do give it a try. Matt, thank you so much for coming up to the farm today and hanging out. It's been so much fun. I'm going to go get some gloves on and harvest some nettles. Good. I think you're going to find that they're absolutely delicious. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed this too, and I hope you'll gather with us next time around the farm table. If you like this podcast, be sure to help us out by subscribing to it, rating it, and writing a review. That's the best way to get this show in front of as many people as possible. And if you'd like to find more recipes, connect with farmers, and watch our television series, find us at AroundTheFarmTable.com.